0: In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear Saints, today's gospel lesson from John chapter 16 takes place on Maundy Thursday, the night when Jesus was betrayed. Here, Jesus warns his disciples that they're about to undergo a period of intense suffering. Now, to be honest, we all experience moments of suffering and anguish in our lifetime. However, what Jesus is telling the disciples here today is that they will experience a unique kind of suffering. Perhaps a suffering that you yourselves haven't experienced. Thanks be to God. I pray you never do. But the suffering that the disciples are about to suffer during those three days between the time of Jesus' death and the moment of his resurrection, that suffering is going to be especially painful for them. And it's a suffering that makes all of our current troubles seem small and insignificant. When we encounter this text, we oftentimes think that the suffering they experience is is a result of seeing Jesus go away. But their sorrow can't just be that Jesus goes away from them, that they can't see him anymore. Because remember that when Jesus ascended into heaven and was hidden from the disciples' eyes, the disciples weren't sorrowful. Luke chapter 24 says they worshipped him and returned to, to Jerusalem with great joy. They couldn't see Jesus with their eyes, but they had an exceedingly great joy, the scriptures say. So the sorrow Jesus is talking about here in John 16 isn't simply because the disciples can't see Jesus anymore. And and neither is their sorrow coming only from the fact that they will see Jesus die. Just to be clear, seeing someone die is horrible. Our eyes were not meant to see such a thing. Even more, seeing someone tortured to death and suffocating on a cross is horrifying. It's even horrifying to to simply think of. And if that person on the cross is someone you know and love, then I can't imagine what sort of pain and sorrow that's going to feel like. So seeing a loved one die a torturous death is dreadful, but that is still not the sorrow that Jesus is talking about here. Remember, Jesus even says in John chapter 16, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. So even though the world sees the death of Jesus, they can rejoice because of it. So the sorrow that Jesus is talking about here is not simply the reaction that people will have to his bitter suffering and death. So, what is it? What is Jesus talking about? What is the great sorrow that they're about to experience? Seeing Jesus go away and seeing Jesus die an atrocious death is certainly a part of the disciples' sorrow, but it's not all of it. I would suggest to you that their pain is uniquely this, that they lost the purpose and meaning of their life. That is to say, they lost their hope in salvation. This is critical. We get a glimpse of this little while of sorrow when we read Luke chapter 24 and the account of Jesus walking on the road to Emmaus. Jesus walked with the two disciples two who believed in him, two who put their hope of eternal life in him. Do you remember this account? Jesus walked with them and they didn't recognize him. And they began to explain to Jesus everything that happened in those previous days. And here's an excerpt of what they said to Jesus on that walk. They said, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. And then here it is. They said, But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Do you see that? We had hoped. Past tense. In other words, we had hoped in Jesus one time. But we no longer do. We lost our hope. It's gone now. Now, th- this isn't just some sort of disappointment that they're facing, uh, that Jesus just didn't live up to their expectation or something. It's not a small thing for them to say this. It's not like, well, we thought he was the one, but he's not. So that's sort of a bummer. Better luck next time, right? We'll just move on. No, what what th- the point is is that they had all of their hope, their only hope in him. Anyone who even came close to being the redeemer was the Christ. And they had their hope in him for one specific thing. To redeem Israel. That is to redeem them. And redeem them from what? From their sins, from death and hell. From God's wrath and condemnation. So it's as if they're saying, we had hoped that he would abide with us that he would forgive us all our sins, that he would turn God's anger away from us, that we would have the love of God, that we would one day go to heaven and be with him forever, that that he would resurrect us from the grave and not leave us there in the dust forever. We had trusted his teachings. We had hoped that, but we don't anymore. And now we have none of it. You see, these poor disciples thought that since Jesus died, that because Jesus died, that apparently that undid his salvation rather than accomplish it, they had it completely backwards and and that's what they were enduring. all they knew was that Jesus was dead, which to them meant that his words meant nothing, they were empty, everything he said sounded nice, but it wasn't true. they were a bunch of broken promises and And for that reason, they lost their hope. In theology, in the church, we use a specific word to denote this very state of mind. A specific word that means to lose hope in salvation, in the salvation that God has given. And that word is despair. Theologically speaking, to despair means to lose the hope and joy of salvation. And in fact, a few weeks ago, when the news of the coronavirus came out and our nation was being shut down and put into a lockdown, I prayed a collect during a time of disaster. That's the title of it: a time of disaster. And it's a prayer for uh, those moments. And it was at one of the evening devotions that I had. And and this is what I prayed. I prayed. Well, we all prayed this together in in the collect. Uh, and, and this is a line out of that prayer. It says, "We implore you, Lord." Let not the hearts of your people despair, nor our faith fail us, but sustain and comfort us. In other words, I was praying that no matter what happened during this time, that you would not despair, that you would not lose the faith, that you would not lose your hope in Christ and that you would not fall away from your baptism and into complete unbelief. That's what it means to despair. And we pray that God keep us faithful in our final hour so that we would not die despairing. And so this is what the disciples were suffering from during these three days. They had lost their hope, and they didn't have anyone to speak that gospel of comfort into their ears. Jesus was the one proclaiming this. They had the scriptures, but their minds were closed to it. This pain of losing hope is worse than never having it at all. So I want to explain this point by a way of analogy. It's, it's, uh, let me put it this way. It's easier for a poor person to be poor than for anyone else. Okay, so let me explain. If being poor is all that you've ever known, then you're used to it. It doesn't bother you very much. You know what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck. You know what it's like to hunger. So it's easier for a poor person to be poor than for any other person to become poor. Do you get what I'm saying? If you're used to wealth and having a lot of money, if you're used to going out to eat all the time, if you're used to being served and buying whatever you want on impulse, if you're used to never having Uh, to worry about how much money you have in the bank, then you're going to have a very difficult time when you lose all of those things. You've become so used to your wealth that you don't know how to live without it. Now, of course, there's a good lesson in this. You should never attach yourself to your wealth and luxury like this in the first place. And you should never become so selfish that you can't live in poverty If you do have money now, good, but learn to be generous so that you don't become attached to your stuff and then go through this. Now, this is all true, but the real point I'm trying to make here is this. Just as it's more painful for a rich person to become poor than for a poor person to remain poor, so too it is more painful to lose the meaning of your life than never to have had meaning in life at all. Do you see that? It's one thing to have always thought that life has no meaning, that, that there is no purpose to our life or our existence. You don't know any better. For you, that's just life. Why do we exist? I don't know. We're just here and we make the best of it. But it's quite another thing to have had the joy of a meaningful life, to have the joy of knowing that God loves you, that he is not angry with you, that he truly cares for you, that he forgives you all of your sins, And then to have that ripped away from you. It is more painful to lose the gospel than to have never heard it. I'm going to provide an anecdote from my life. When I was going from high school to college, there was a time when I was plagued by uncertainty and doubt, not only in the gospel, but in God. I visited a number of churches, and I wasn't hearing the gospel at all. Looking back, I know now that I wasn't hearing the gospel, but in the time, I didn't know what was happening. I just knew my faith was dwindling, and I didn't, I didn't know I was losing the faith. I didn't know why. So the, the sermons, when I would go to these other churches, these sermons were about anything else in the world except for Jesus. The worship was an attempt to be entertaining, but it was everything but that. It was self-centered. It was childish. It was kind of juvenile. And there was no substance being taught or preached or sung about in the hymns. And the thing is, I had seen actual, literal clowns, and mimes in the church, literally speaking. The service was filled with videos and pop culture references trying to reach out to younger people and make it relevant, and the organist was rapping in church at one service. I'm not joking. At the same time that all of this was happening, I encountered a number of atheists at the university, and they were very vocal and very aggressive. So I gave an ear, and then I started to question The faith altogether. I even started reading books by Friedrich Nietzsche, Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens. These are all popular modern atheists. And while all of this was happening, I stopped going to church regularly. In fact, there were about eight to nine months there where I stopped going to any church altogether, I just slept in on Sundays. And my faith faded away. And the point is this nothing tragic happened to me. I didn't see anything traumatic. Nothing changed. But those were the worst months of my life. Why? Because in my mind, life was completely meaningless. Everything meant nothing. I felt only guilt. And, and I felt only guilty and empty and useless and hollow. And it was because I had lost the meaning I once had in life. It was terrible. Now, you know what happens next in the story. I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor now. But that little while of sorrow felt like forever. Thanks be to God, it came to an end. There were a lot of things that led up to the end of my despair. But the thing that I can point to is this. I went to a church one Sunday after about those eight, nine months of complete darkness, and I heard a pastor preach a sermon. Now get this, it was a sermon about Jesus. (laughs) That's it. That's all it was. A sermon about Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. And that made all the difference. He preached that God is real that my sin and my misery is real and that the death and resurrection of Jesus is also real. And he preached that that means that God has forgiven every single sin in Christ. It was nothing other than hearing the gospel Hearing the gospel preached into my ears that cast the gloom of despair away, it filled my eyes with hope and my heart with joy. That's all it was. It was about Jesus and what he did on the cross, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, the fact that he won for us the forgiveness of sins. And here's the the, the point. Losing the meaning of life is worse than never having meaning to life. And another point is that not hearing the gospel caused me to doubt the gospel. Nothing has to happen for you to fall into unbelief. You simply need to stop hearing the gospel. The more you don't hear the gospel, the more you will fall away from the faith. It's a fact. Faith comes by hearing the word of Christ. If you don't hear the word of Christ, you will fall into unbelief period. No gospel, no faith. So cling to the gospel while you have it because it may not be there when you need it, when you seek it the most. There may not be someone to preach it. And this is the greatest pain, the pain and despondency you feel when you lose the meaning of life, the hope of salvation. All right, so back to the sermon. Um <laughs> uh, Jesus says this little while of meaninglessness will plague the disciples. And why? It's because Jesus is dead. But then listen to what Jesus says later in the text. He says, "You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy." Jesus doesn't say I will replace your sorrow with joy. He's not saying you're going to go through a lot of bad stuff, but Don't worry about it because then you're going to go through a lot of good stuff and it'll even out. No, he says, I will turn your sorrow into joy, that the bad stuff will become good for you. In other words, the very thing that is driving those disciples to sorrow and despair is the very thing that will make them full of hope and joy everlasting. Jesus then uses this wonderful, this perfect analogy of birth here. It's, it, it's, it's the baby in birth who causes the mother pain, right? It's the baby's head, his face, his arms, his legs, his torso. The baby himself causes the mother such pain and anguish when the hour has come. And yet, when she has given birth, it's the baby himself. The baby himself that causes the mother to have such great joy and contentment. It's the same head, the same face, the same arms and legs and fingers and body that make the mother so happy and overwhelmed with joy. She looks at his face and she's elated. She sees him smile. She smiles. She sees him laugh. She laughs. In fact, she is so overwhelmed with joy now that she doesn't even remember her pain because her she has her baby. Her baby has come. It is her child. And she now holds to the very thing that caused her so much anguish. She holds it dear and close to her heart. And this, dear saints, is like the cross of Jesus and his bitter suffering and death. People oftentimes look at Christians and say, why are you guys so obsessed with the crucifix and Jesus on the cross dying? Why do you have a dead guy on a cross as the symbol of your religion It's so morbid. It's awful. And then people recoil at the fact that we call Good Friday, Good Friday. And they say, look, that's the worst day of the year. What are you doing? But we Christians, we put up crucifixes in our homes. We wear them around our necks. We bolster it to the pulpit. We put it up on banners. We sing about Christ's crucifixion in hymns. We preach about it in sermons. We talk about this in Bible studies day in and day out. Why? It's because the one thing, his death on the cross, that once caused God's children so much pain is now the one thing that gives us so much joy. It means everything. The world looks and they can't see it, but you can. The very wounds that cause the disciples so much grief are the very wounds that bring us so much joy. And that's because the death of Jesus doesn't undo our salvation. It accomplished it. His suffering brings us life. His seemingly senseless death fills our lives with meaning and purpose. The reason God created us finds its fulfillment in the moment that Christ is on the cross lifelessly there. God created us in order to redeem and sanctify us. And this is love beyond all telling. Finally, I want to draw your attention to the last words of Jesus in this section. Jesus says these words. He says, no one will take your joy from you. And this is what you need to imprint upon your heart. If you find joy in anything in this world, then your joy will fade because everything in this world fades and withers away. Your finances, your house, your possessions, your reputation, your health, your work, your home, your life, all of these will go away. And if you put your joy in those things, you will only have joy for a little while. But if you find your joy in the fact that God is not angry with you, that he he will never once bring up your sin against you, that he will forget everything that you regret, that he will not condemn you, but that he has forgiven you all your sins, then your joy will last forever because these things will not Go away. Your soul will be filled with light. And more than this, no one will take your joy from you. No one can. No one can take that joy from you because no one can undo what Jesus did on the cross. It is done, it is accomplished, it is a fact. He died on the cross. The tomb is empty, He walked out of that tomb alive. No one can subtract to what Christ has added to you, the riches of heaven and all of the kingdom of God and the love and the favor and the blessing and the innocence and the righteousness that he has added unto you. Not one person can thwart that or take away his forgiveness or change it. Jesus died and resurrected. This is the meaning of your life. And that will not change. A lot of things in your life will change but not that. That will not change. He loves you. He forgives you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And when this short life of sorrow has ended, and when your time in this veil of tears is up, you will see God and your heart will rejoice. Amen. Hear the words of this hymn. See, my soul, thy Savior chooses, weakness here and poverty. In such love he comes to thee. Neither crib nor cross refuses, all he suffers for thy good to redeem thee by his blood. Joy, O joy, beyond all gladness, Christ has done away with sadness, hence all sorrow and repining. For the sun of grace is shining. May the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.